It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Everyone in this theater has just finished watching all four hours of the film Leaving Neverland. It's an audience of over 100 men and women here who say that they were sexually abused as children. Surrounding them were supporters and family members. And watching this documentary was, was an intense and very emotional experience for many people here. The two men who tell their stories in Leaving Neverland, Wade Robson and James Safechuck, are also here with me on stage, as well as the director of the film, Dan Reed. <laughs> and so here's the reason why I'm here. In uh, 25 years of The Oprah Show, I taped 217 episodes on sexual abuse. I tried and tried and tried to get the message across to people that sexual abuse was not just abuse, it was also sexual seduction. So after I saw Leaving Netherland for the first time, I called up Dan Reed, I didn't know Dan Reed, and told him, that, Dan, I said, you were able to illustrate in these four hours what I tried to explain in 217. And I know people all over the world are gonna be in an uproar and debating whether or not Michael Jackson did these things or not, whether these two men are lying or not lying. But for me, this moment transcends Michael Jackson. It is much bigger than any one person. This is a moment in time that allows us to see this societal corruption. It's like a scourge on humanity. And it's happening right now. It's happening in families. We know it's happening in churches and in schools and sports teams everywhere. So if it gets you, you, our audience, to see how it happens, then some good would have come of it. Child sexual abuse, even the word abuse, lacks accuracy. I've been saying this for years and years and years that it's confusing the word abuse when you say sexual abuse, because as you just saw in uh, Leaving Netherland, that as young boys, these two men did not feel abuse until much later on in life. And when you are a child, this is a message I want every parent to hear, you don't have the language 
to explain what is happening to you because you've been seduced and entrapped. So when you testified at 11 years old, were you thinking about it as abuse then? Did you know you were being abused and you were just defending Michael? When did you start to know that it was abuse? Yeah, at, at that point, um, you know, when the abuse started and when I was 11, even when I was 22 and later, um, I, had no, I had no understanding that what Michael did to me sexually was abuse. Um, I had no concept of it being that. You know, from, from night one uh, of the abuse, of the sexual stuff that Michael did to me, you know, he told me that it was love. He told me that he loved me and that God brought us together. And, you know, and I was this little boy from the other side of the world in Australia, and Michael was a God to me. And now who was God to me was telling me, I love you. God brought us together, and this, this sexual stuff, this is how we show our love. Um, so before he said that, anything Michael was going to say to me was gospel to me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and then when I, when I testified when I was 11, you know, from the first night on, started training me right away for what ended up happening when I was 11 and when I was 22 with the trials. Now you can see it. I mean, w were you able to see it before Dan put it all together in a documentary? It's really, it's, it's easy for everyone to see the pattern now. Could you see the pattern as a little boy? Absolutely not. I mean, Michael was just this, when I was a little boy, he was just this incredible person and well, it wasn't, he was not really a person to me. He was yeah. like an alien, he was this yeah, other let's being. Let's think you know? back to in, in the late 80s, when it started to happen, you say, in the late 80s? Uh, no, it was uh, 1990. So. Ni 19, yeah, 1990, yeah. okay, yeah. so you're seven years old. Yeah. Okay, so late 80s, early 90s, Michael Jackson was a, was a god. Yeah. Yeah, for all intents and purposes, he was like a god. And, and actually there's, there's no one we can even compare him to today right. because stars aren't stars like that anymore. They don't shine that brightly. So it's clear to see the grooming process. It was such a striking moment when you said in the film, James, that um, you had a marriage ceremony with Michael Jackson with rings and handwritten vows. And once you said vows, you feel completely complicit, did you not? Yeah, that <clears throat> that moment was part of him, you know, telling me that we'll be together forever, mm -hmm. and it was like a it was an action to sort of solidify our our love. Um, I was getting a little older, and I was a little more insecure about my position, so it was sort of reminding me that we'll always be together. Mm -hmm. um, so, so that's. But why. I asked the question because I think so many parents. Uh, I remember when, uh, you know, Gail's children were smaller and she all, and I would always talk about this subject and she would say, oh, my kids will tell me because my kids aren't going to let themselves be hurt. They're not going to let themselves be punished. I think so many parents don't understand that it doesn't feel like hurt. No. And once you have committed, once you have, in your case, uh, actually said vows and you have rings to prove that, as you say, that you all are together. Right you're all in. 
Yeah, I mean, even before that, I was all in. I mean, the the, the intensity of the love that you have for him. He he also wedges, uh, you know, space between you and your parents, you and the rest of the world. You know, he works very hard at that. So it's you and him against the world, and that intense love combined with the world's intense love for him is overwhelming. I mean, it's, for a kid, it's just... So when did you realize it was abuse? You all use the word freely now as adult men, right. but when did you start to think of it as abuse? It wasn't until uh, Wade came out. I was really suffering. Uh, I couldn't sleep at night. I would sleep for two hours and I'd wake up and my body was buzzing and, uh, and I'd be up all night. And, and I hated myself. And I don't know why. It's like, why do I hate myself? And th this intense feeling of hate is, it's, you don't understand it. And then when I see Wade come out, you go, okay, maybe there's a, there's a reason for this. And if, and if there's a reason for this, now I can figure out what to do about it. So like, you don't think it's abuse. So when Wade came out and we saw him on the Today Show, mm. was that the first time you you consciously recognized there were others? Because obviously you recognized there were others because you testified in a trial. Recognize there were others. Um, I mean, I testified when I was a little kid. Um, and you don't think about there being others. You know, your brain doesn't go there. You're just thinking about you and him. Um, and so, you know, when Wade came out, I was triggered by it. I didn't have this, you know, there wasn't an immediate sense of Was that the first time you knew there was a Wade? I knew of Wade. I had met Wade twice when we were kids. We met on the, the set of the Jam video, and then Michael had a weekend at Neverland uh, with us and a few other kids. Mm -hmm. So I, I knew of Wade, and... and you know, I felt, you know, he was great. He was nice. So I got along with him as a, as a little kid, but that, that's it. Okay. So when you saw Wade on the Today Show, that triggered you to feel what? I panicked. Like I was being caught, honestly. It was just like a, it was just that body panic. And so it took weeks to go like, okay, sort through that and let it sort of like calm down and try to figure out what that is. And then you go, okay, he's getting help or, you know, he's, he's further along. Maybe, maybe I can be like that. Mm. Maybe I can go get help. Did you not feel, or the question is, did you feel a sense of, ah, I'm not the only one, like not me immediately. too? Not, not immediately, it was yeah. a lot of panic. Cause Michael had just drilled in you over and over since you were a kid. You know, if you're caught, if we're caught, your life is over, my life is over. It's repeated over mm -hmm. and over and over again. That's just drilled into your nervous system. So it's panic of being caught. You know, it takes a lot of work to sort through that. Okay, so here's the thing that I think it's so hard for people who have not had this kind of trauma or experience in their lives to understand. And that is, if you were abused, why would you continue to want to be around the person. I think one of the things that the uh, Michael Jackson's estate is saying about you now is that you, Wade, had tried to get a job working with his organization or going on tour. Why would you want to continue? Can you explain to people why you want to continue the association if you have been abused? 
I had no understanding of it being abuse. You know, I loved Michael. And in all the times that, that I testified and, you know, the many, many times that I gushed over him publicly in interviews or whatever it may be, um, that was from a real place, mm -hmm. you know? Um, while never forgetting any of the sexual details that happened between us, but having no understanding that it was abuse, having no concept in my mind that anything about Michael could ever be bad. Anything that Michael did was right to me for so many years. Um, so even when you're on the witness stand and you were up there for hours and it is grueling yeah. um, to be on trial for anything, even when you're on the witness stand defending him, you still did not think he was doing anything bad or were you defending him because of your love for him? That's what I'm trying to understand. Did you think he might have done a bad thing, but I'm going to defend him, or did you not think it was bad? That's what I'm trying to understand. Yeah. I didn't think about it as far as that concept. I didn't, I couldn't even... I know this now, that I couldn't even go there. I couldn't even question Michael. Because mm -hmm. if, if I was to question Michael and my story with Michael, my life with Michael, mm -hmm. it would mean that I would have to question everything in my life. Um, so it wasn't even an option to think about it. Mm -hmm. um, Michael was good. That was all that existed in my mind. Michael and you were, never... And in your mind, you were there to protect him and yeah, to and that save was a, him. Yeah, that was a huge part of it. Yeah. Um, you know, he started, that, he started that training of me, you know, right away. It was right away, it was, if, if anybody ever finds out what, what we're doing, yeah. you know, we'll both go to jail for the rest of our lives. So I was terrified as well, uh, for, for myself as well, but also terrified for him. I loved him and I wanted to protect him. And in my mind, up until whatever it was, six years ago or so, you know, I was going to take what truly happened to my grave. No question. That was the way it was. So I, I assumed, I don't know if you all did too, but I assumed that the reason you all were able to now speak the way you do is because you both had sons. Was that the thing that turned your thinking around? You? Yeah. Yeah, you don't connect with uh, you as a child. You, you don't have any sympathy for yourself or empathy. There's a disconnect. I don't relate to that kid. But when you have your own kid, it, I think it's, and this is me sort of looking at it now, it's, it's a way for you to, to, to bridge that. And you see yourself in him. And then you can see what kids are actually like. Yeah. I would, I would just like to say something about not relating to that kid, because I, I hear all of you who've been through this, you know what they're talking about. Because when you spend your life holding the secret as a child, your whole childhood is a lie. Yeah. Your whole childhood is a lie. All the decisions that you make about anything come from that space of a lie. Mm -hmm. Everything you, the choices you make come from that space of a lie. Yeah. So that's why you have that feeling of disconnection, I think. Yeah, I mean, I really 
experience that as well and continue to experience, you know, have a lot of struggle connecting to Little Wade and understanding uh, what it was that, that me as a child was feeling and yeah. thinking as I was going through all of that. Um, if my son never would have been born, yeah. uh, I think there's a really good chance that I'd still be living in silence. Really good chance, you know. Mm. Um, Interesting. Interesting. I think it, you know, it, it wasn't until I gained the perspective of being a father and finally having, because I was so cut off, I didn't know that I was at the time, but what I know now, because I was so cut off from little Wade, that once my son was born, and I, oh my God, this is, this is what a child looks like. This is how a child thinks. This is how a child behaves. Um, that was me. Um, and then, of course, I'm sure it added to it that this is a little boy who's my little boy. Um, and, you know, as it said in the film, I started seeing in my head images, it happening images. to my son. And um, that was the first moment that I ever, ever thought in my life, maybe I need to tell someone about this. Because you had gone to therapy before. Yeah. But you were also lying to the therapist. Yeah. I told... How does that work? <laughs> <laughs> you were lying to the therapist because you were gonna, you were determined that you're gonna protect. Right, and the yeah the, the story. You know, I had two nervous breakdowns. The second of which led to me disclosing. Yeah. So the first nervous breakdown, I went to therapy, and um, you know had absolutely no intention of of talking about what happened yeah. between Michael and I, and because. Because I Why had did no you think idea. you're having the nervous breakdown? Well, exactly. I had no idea that what happened between Michael and I, the sexual stuff, had any negative or effect on me. Or holding that secret. Whatsoever. Which is the point I wish that the world could hear. And that is so many people put the emphasis on was there sexual penetration or was there not? I, all these shows I did, they were like, well, was there penetration or not? You go to court, is was there penetration or not? Mm -hmm. When the emphasis should not be on the sex act itself, but on what happens afterwards. Mm -hmm. And I think what most people don't understand, it isn't, it's just like you, your, your mother says in the film, one of your mothers says in the film that she knocks on the door and to the theater and then she comes in and Michael says, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know that door was locked. And she comes in the room and she sees you, your clothes are on and she thinks everything's okay. Yeah. Because everybody thinks you're gonna look a certain way or you're gonna look like you've been battered or you're gonna look like somebody raped you. Mm -hmm. When in fact, it is the holding of the secret, it's the shame, it's the confusion, it's the guilt, it's the depression, mm -hmm. and then the nervous breakdown that, that, that comes to so many people. So. Did you have a, were you out to do a story about Michael Jackson? Were you no. interested in Michael Jackson? Were you a Michael Jackson fan or not a Mac Michael Jackson fan? How did you come on this story? I had no prior interest in Jackson at all. And, um, you know, to cut a long story short, I basically stumbled across a reference to the litigation that these guys were uh, carrying out against the Michael Jackson estate at the time. And I decided to approach them. And, and I thought, here's, here's two guys I've never heard of. Uh, making these claims, and, and I, I thought that was interesting. Um, and so I began to, to try and get to meet them and cut a long story short. I ended up you know, doing this very, very long three-day interview with Wade and then a two-day interview with James. And I realized that these men had an extraordinary story to tell, not, not so much even about Michael Jackson, but about what grooming child sexual abuse looks like. And that's so important.
I, I see people with tears in the audience because when you see the grooming process laid out that way, it makes you think about your own uh, process. And I think for a lot of people, I, I was saying this to, to my producer the other day, that I was doing a show, and I was 42 years old, actually, and I was doing a show with um, men who had molested their children and stepchildren, and it wasn't until one of the child molesters, the accused, said out loud how he had practiced uh, grooming his 13-year-old daughter that I had a light bulb moment and finally realized at 42 that it was not my fault. So I think for a lot of people to see the grooming process and understand for yourself, oh, that's what happened to me. That's what I'm trying to get you all to see. That you don't need to be a big iconic star, that this is happening in families and churches and everywhere with somebody who has entrusted themselves, made themselves look like your mother said, uh, that he just seemed like a wonderful, loving, caring person and knew how to groom a child in your own particular family. That's what, what, what goes on. So in 2010, I did a show with 200 men, all survivors of childhood sexual abuse, each holding a picture of themselves as a child at the age when that abuse started. It's still one of the things that's seared in my memory. And on that show, I talked to Dr. Howard Fratkin, who is an expert in this field and has counseled over a thousand male victims, over a thousand, and is the author of Joining Forces, Empowering Male Survivors to Thrive. And Dr. Fratkin is here with us. Dr. Fratkin, stand up, will you please? So. I want to talk a little bit about grooming because we saw it so clearly uh, in the film and so many examples of it. What are the classic signs of, of grooming? I was saying, you know, everybody who is entrapped, is seduced, is seduced, has been groomed. And the whole thing about grooming, it's just like if you fall in love with somebody and and they start doing romantic things for you. One of the most striking moments is, for me, is on the airplane when you all are coming back from Hawaii and you are interviewing Michael Jackson and you say, tell me what was the most interesting part. Mm -hmm. And when he says the most interesting part... Yes, me. Yeah, was being you, with me, yeah. Was being with you. Who doesn't want to hear that? <laughs> I, I, my heart melted a little bit because... When somebody says, oh, what did you like the most about this? And they say, what I liked the most about this experience was just being with you. And I'm not just saying that because you're here, just because you are the best. I mean, who's... That's, that's how it starts. Right. Right. So, so grooming starts first with the perpetrator convinces the person that they're safe. And in your cases, and in many cases, they convince the whole family that you're safe with me. I have your best interest at heart. I just want to help you guys succeed and be happy and all that stuff. And then they teach you to be special. And you, you illustrated special. that many, many times, how important that is that you're special. You're the only one. I bought Neverland for you. Uh, I mean, what better playground to be on? Um, so that's... And then it's the, that gradual introduction. That's what part of grooming is, is the way touch is introduced in a very gradual way. So first, it's just roughhousing. 
Yep. And then it's like, okay, I'm just gonna touch your leg. And then it's like, well, now I'm gonna put my hand over your genitals. I think one of the interesting things about Michael and his particular situation is that the grooming had started long before we ever met him. You know, because he was, he was who he was. He was such a massive figure and represented himself as such an angel. And, you know, I didn't have a childhood and I love children so much. That's why I love being around children and I want to help other children have a childhood. So long before ever meeting him the first time, all so much had been set up already that I was, I was, and I think my mother, my whole family was already surrendered before we met him, you know. Well, in the documentary, Wade's mother says that Michael asked her if she would leave Wade with her for an entire year. She says that he said to her, I always get what I want. And the documentary shows that he later went back and started sending faxes to your mother, calling your mother, as your grandmother said, which we loved her in the film, thank you. <laughs> Every time grandma came out, we go, oh, we're gonna hear it now. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy, uh, that that she was also, uh, in in your grandmother's words, she was also groomed because yeah. Michael was calling her and telling her and befriending her in a way that made her feel special. Yeah, he he, he spent a lot of time developing a special relationship with my mother, uh, also with my sister. I think it was the same for you. Yeah, the same, you. yeah. A lot yeah. of time with our parents. Yeah. Well, what is so interesting is your parents, the grooming process for your parents was fascinating because when you're someone at the level of Michael Jackson, um, you don't have to have the safe chucks come and pick you up. Right. You know, you can get there yourself. Yeah, but right. the very idea that your family thought, we're gonna go and we're gonna put him in the car and we're gonna get him out of there and we're the ones in the, that's all, part of, of it. that's yeah. all a part of it. Like Michael Jackson needs you to drive him around. I didn't think of that. <laughs> They're right. But yeah. There, there, there was a, I had similar experiences and, and there was this feeling of, he would make me feel and I think us feel, my, my mother feel that we also were saving him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, giving him a life yeah. that was outside of his lonely existence. Right. That with us, he could be more normal. Well, so that, this, that was such an, like, wow, we can save you, we can help you. Well, the mo you know? one of the most, uh, uh, you know, I thought, when you say in the film, the night you wake up and he is crying in the room, he is crying in the room. Yeah, because we were supposed to leave Neverland the next day. and. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, I woke up and I hear this sobbing and, I, and the room is dark and, and I couldn't tell where it was coming from at first and then I realized I see this figure over in the corner and, and Michael is huddled in the corner against the wall just sobbing. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that speaks to my state, of the, my state of mind at that point, I was seven and I just met him. I started becoming afraid that he was gonna turn into the werewolf from Thriller. You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's where I was. Yeah. Because that was the Michael I knew, and now I was in his house, in his bedroom, in and his he's bed. in the room crying. Yeah. He would do that a lot, cry. Yeah. Like, he would put on this, what now I see as an act, but that he just felt too much, and he would cry. Mm. And he would cry for you, or he'd cry because he's, he's so lonely. 
And that made you feel even more special. Yeah, and you want, you want to be there for him. And you want to be there for right. him. Yeah. You know, it, it's, what's so interesting to me is actor Anthony Edwards works with an organization called One in Six. That number, one in six, represents that one in six men are sexually molested as a child. That's the statistic in our country. It's probably higher. So in 2017, Anthony published an online article called Yes, Mom, There Is Something Wrong, detailing his personal story of being a survivor of child sexual abuse. Your mother asked you and asked you and asked you and asked you, Anthony, and you also lied. Why? <clears throat> because what you guys so beautifully represented here is that thing that happens to a young psyche who has allowed a person to become their everything. That person is your whole life. That person is inspiring. He was a mentor to me. He was all of it. And, and creating that world. And if the feeling was, if I w was to tell the truth, it would all shatter. Mm. Life would go away. And when you're, in my case, 14, 15, your life is this big. Yeah. And that person is so much bigger than. And um, uh, that's the thing that keeps all of us so quiet. And yeah. that's been the amazing experience of working with one in six and working with great practitioners like Howard and, and realizing that what you guys have done here and what we say in one in six is you are not alone. Yeah. But the ability to tell a friend, yeah. to tell a, a, a mother or father, anyone, your story and to own that story without shame, yeah. it's how we heal and recover. And you're proving that it is possible. Thank you. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you. So Al Chesley is a former Philadelphia Eagles NFL linebacker, and Al says he was sexually abused from the time he was 13 to 18 by a trusted neighborhood police officer. The police officer was actually called Officer Friendly. Uh, Al kept it a secret from everybody in his life for 33 years. And I hear you were at the taping that I did with the 200 men. Yes. Yes. And, and you didn't speak up then, but what do you want to say here well, today, Al? Well, Oprah, to honestly, the... I want to thank you for having us back uh, several years back. I was probably hiding under the chair. I was still, <laughs> you know, I was, I wanted, I wanted to be there, but I was just so still early on. I think I just came out of the closet about my abuse about six months prior. So, you know, I, I just, I just couldn't muster the courage, but I uh, am just so happy I finally with that show, and it's been several years, and the work that I'm doing, I know that you're only sick as your secret. When you were watching Leaving Neverland, did you notice any of the patterns that were apparent with your own, with Officer Friendly? Absolutely. Uh, the grooming, the, you know, you got a police officer, someone we revered in the neighborhood. He has a police car, a gun, and a badge. And so he had power, and power is key, too. And, uh, and, and he could just walk through the neighborhood. He was uh, like a hero. And I was 13, and it's our first sexual experience. And it's just a, the most cruelest crime you could commit to a kid, and you're murdering that kid's spirit. Mm -hmm. So the answer, the, the key for me is what you guys are doing is so healing. And each morning I wake up now, I say, Al, how free do you want to be? Mm -hmm. And, and I, uh, I talk about it, and, 
and thank you. Why, when your mother asked you in the first trial, why did you do the same thing that Anthony did and so many other people have done? Why did you, why did you deny it? Mm. Because that felt like a great opportunity to say, well, yeah, some of the same things have happened to me. I, I didn't, I, I did not testify out of thinking I was doing something good or knowing yeah. that, that, that what he did was bad. I was afraid of being caught. Is on the news 24-7. I mean, it was just being yeah. broadcast. And there was so much attention on it from the world. So by that time, you thought of what you were doing as a bad thing or no. just as a thing that you all did, but you had to keep it a secret. I, I didn't think of it as good or bad. I was, it was that old sort of wiring of if you're caught, your life will be over. Mm -hmm. And so I'm yeah. in my mid-20s and I'm just trying to start a life. So then to, to be thrown into that was like, it was just too much to handle. So, so when I said no, I, I wasn't trying to do the right thing. I, I was just afraid and it was just self-preservation. So this is what so many people don't understand. A big part of the confusion and shame for child victims is that the attention and the seduction from the predator who is probably gonna be somebody you know. Right. In order for it to work, it has to be somebody you know somebody you admire, somebody you respect, or maybe even love. And it feels good. I mean, if you're seven years old and somebody, which I was trying to say this to my friends who had children, you're seven years old and someone is stroking your penis, it feels good. Right. Even though you don't have a name for what that is, it feels good. And that was such a particularly challenging part for me in beginning therapy, that was one of the biggest things I kept bringing to therapy was, yeah. what does it mean that it felt good? What well, does that mean about me? It's so confusing you know? for children. Yeah. And when I first said this years ago, people were like, you're crazy because everybody wants to believe it's like sexual assault and you're being thrown up against the wall and you're being raped. Mm -hmm. And I have said for years, if the abuser is any good, it, you won't even know it's happened. You will be in it and you won't even know it's happened. And if the abuser is any good, he or she is going to make you feel like you're a part of it. I mean, and nothing is more being a part of it than what we discussed earlier. Then you had, you say you were married. You had marriage vows and you have rings. Right, right. Nothing makes you feel more part of it. So you all know the Jackson family uh, disagrees with everything that's being said here today. They issued a statement regarding the documentary. I will read part of it. They say, we are furious that the media, who without a shred of proof or single piece of physical evidence, chose to believe the word of two admitted liars over the word of hundreds of family and friends around the world who spent time with Michael. Many at Neverland and experienced his legendary kindness and his global generosity. Michael was subjected to a thorough investigation, which included a surprise raid of Neverland and other properties, as well as a jury trial where Michael was found to be completely innocent. There's never been one piece of proof of anything. The creators of this film were not interested in the truth. They never interviewed a single solitary soul who knew Michael, except um, the two perjurers and their families. That is a statement, part of the statement from the Michael ja Jackson family. So Dan, why didn't you interview anyone in the Michael Jackson family? 
well, this is a this is a film that's not about Jackson. It's about what happened to Wade and James. Now, I think no one in the family disputes that Michael spent night after night after night with little boys. He spent many nights with little boys, different little boys. So there's no there's no dispute about that. What is and the issue here is what happened when the bedroom door closed and the lights went off, right? So who knows about that? Well, what happened was between Wade and Michael and between James and Michael. To my knowledge, there was, and none of you guys have ever mentioned that anyone else was in the room or that there were any other I was going to ask, was there direct... ever anybody else in the room? No. When abuse was happening, no. So how would, you know, what is, what is the journalistic value of, in, uh, of interviewing someone who says, well, Michael was a really nice guy and he'd never do anything to a child. Particularly if that person has a gigantic vested interest in you know, financial interest in smearing these, these two young men and in discrediting them. So, you know, the you idea know, They that... say the opposite, that these guys have a financial interest and therefore Michael is being speared. Well, they, you know, they, they have no financial interest. Let me make that clear straight away in, in my documentary. Uh, they're not being remunerated in any way in either of their families. And so this is a hypothetical financial interest. Yes, but when you filed the lawsuit in, what, 2014? 2013. 2013, yeah. you were looking for a financial... Well, what it's about was I was trying to figure out... A desire started arising in me through once I was, I don't know, maybe about nine months or so into my healing process mm -hmm. after disclosing... Well, the question was, what could, could I do something good with this bad, you know, with this horrible thing that happened to me? What could I do that could maybe turn it into something good? Um, is there a way, is there a platform, is there a place where I can tell this story that would be a credible, powerful platform yeah. to tell it within, you know, where they would have to listen, right? Um, they who? They, the estate. The estate, yeah. Okay. Um, that they would have to be held accountable. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I could have, I guess, just gone on some TV shows and done some interviews, and more than likely it would have been sensationalized and over in a couple of weeks. Um, so for me, that's where it began, is what, you know, but that's you... one of the platforms we have is the legal system. Okay. This is where we bring this so sort of So did you stuff. think that you were, owed, you were owed money, that you should have some money? That wasn't a, it wasn't a thought of mine. It isn't a thought of mine. It's just that that's the system, the legal system, is the place where, in what other scenario was the estate, was Michael's companies going to have to listen, going to have to sit there? And also a big piece for me was Michael trained me and forced me to tell the lie for so many years, and particularly on the stand. And those were really traumatizing experiences for me that had a huge impact on the rest of my life. So the feeling was, I want an opportunity to reprocess that experience. Yeah. I want to get on the stand again, because now I'm able to tell the truth. Certainly, I'm not holding you accountable as an 11-year-old, but as a 23-year-old or 22-year-old when you testified. And I wonder, do you think about those boys? Do you think about the boys for whom you testified against? Yeah. I think, for me, in, in relation to the other boys, um, I had no 
awareness of that at the time when I was 11 and when I was 22 and 23. I was so narrowly focused on my training to be a soldier for Michael and protect him that I had no, I couldn't think about anybody else um, in hindsight now. And once I've gone, yeah. you know, began this healing process, man, I wish, I wish it could have been different. You know, I wish that I could have been ready when I was 11. I wish that I could have been ready when I was 22 to give Jordan to give Gavin Arvizo some validation and some sense of justice and to be able to play a role in stopping Michael at that point from abusing however many other kids he abused after that. Um, I wish that could have been the case, but it just couldn't have. You know, I couldn't speak the truth until I did. I was saying earlier that you get robbed of your childhood when you're holding this secret and this lie and that the main thing people don't understand is the, it, it seems that it affects everybody differently. Wade was talking about how he didn't know himself, hated himself. How could you because your identity has been stripped and now you have this, this false identity? Would you hate yourself? Yes. Yeah, but you have no idea why. <laughs> but you don't know why. Yeah, and I don't know if I have the understanding you, you have of it right now. I'm still working on working that. Working on it. Yeah. So how do you think keeping the secret, telling the lies, and now, as you say, coming forth with your truth, mm -hmm. how has that impacted your life? The keeping of the secret did what to your life? I don't know if, if I could continue with the pain that I was in. It's, it's no way to live. Um, it's, not, it's not functional. The path I was on was, there was no, there was no good end. So the path I'm on now, um, I can work on myself and I can, I can learn how to, how to, it might sound corny, but I can learn how to love, mm -hmm. you know? Wait, in the film, your mom says that she had not asked you about the abuse, the details of the abuse, because she was afraid that she would have nightmares. Has she seen the film and heard the details now? She has seen the film. Um but she asked Dan to skip the details of the sexual abuse again. How do you feel about that? That's a tough one. Um, you know, I, um, I wish she was, you know, further along in her Why capability. She, so Dan, to... you, you took the film to show too? Yeah. The mothers, yes? Yes, in December, we, I screened the film separately to, to the family members. Yes. And Joy asked me to fast forward through the, the graphic descriptions of, of the sex. Because? Um, because she said she couldn't handle it. She, it would be too much for her and she wasn't ready to come to terms with that. She wasn't ready to hear it. Mm. So James, your mother has seen the film. Mm -hmm. And what was her reaction to, to the details, the details of your abuse? Was that the first time she heard the details? It was the first time, I think. I think I, sh I shut off when watching it with her um, to get through her hearing it. So I haven't even processed that yet, that she's heard it. What do you mean? I mean, having your mom hear what happened to you uh, and have to sit in a room with her to get through that, I, I did the old, you know, turn, turn off. So I, I turned off. Mm -hmm. um, 
So I, I think I still need to go back and sort of revisit that. Yeah. I, I hear that you, when I'm watching the film, you describe yourself in the third person a lot. You talk about when you do, when you. Is, is that a way of protecting yourself? And just, you notice that, obviously, as the also, filmmaker. Also, and it's just, I remember that James spoke of Michael in the present a lot. He does this to you. And yes. I have no idea yeah. that I was doing it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm seeing that as sort of a disassociation from it. You're I, still. I would assume. Yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't. I don't have that understanding yet. I did not know I was doing it. Okay. <laughs> so let me ask you this: At the end of the film, you say uh, your mother says that she had one job, yeah. and that she effed it up. Right. And that, as a result of her not protecting you, her life is a mess. Your life is a mess. Do you still feel like your life is a mess? Huh. <laughs> <laughs> Is it getting I'll, cleaner? <laughs> I'll be working on this for the rest of my life. You know? Really? So, yeah. so the question is, have you forgiven your mother? You said, I'm working on it at the film. So when you all finished that one last year, so I'm wondering, have you, have you gotten there yet? Have you forgiven your mother? I, no. Uh, right now, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to communicate with my mom. And I'm also trying to get her to get help. Because if, if you don't help yourself, you, you, you can't help other people. Yeah. So she needs to work on her own issues so that, that she can understand what happened. Uh -huh. She still hasn't really gotten any when you think about it, what do you actually think? When you, 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 you hinted at it, I don't know what you left on the cutting room floor, but y you knew how, we all know how big Michael Jackson was and still is, and your mother got caught up in that light. She got caught up in that thing. Do you blame her for getting caught, caught up? Yeah, she came into therapy with me after we watched the movie. Um, I try, I try to have sympathy for her because she was groomed. Yeah, and I'm not letting her off the hook. But she was groomed, you know? And the, and the, the world was groomed as well. You said, you said something really great at the Sundance premiere when, when in the Q&A on stage. You said, forgiveness is, is not a line that you cross. It's a road that you take. Yeah. And, yeah. And oh, good. So you're on that road. You're on that road with I'm her. I'm on that road, and, and it, it, would be un, it would be unfair to give it to her when it's not real. Yeah. And I, and I, sh I think she was hoping in the movie I would say it. So she was, she was hurt when I didn't. But I, but I just wanted her to understand that, you know, it just doesn't happen. You just don't go, I forgive you. It takes a lot of work. And you choose to put that work in. So I'm, I'm telling her, look, I'm choosing to, to put in the work mm -hmm. so that we can have a relationship. We can start an actual relationship. Mm -hmm. And that takes time, and, and, and don't rush it. Yeah, and you have to start from where you are now, right? not from what was or right. could have been. We're not, we're not building what was. That's gone. That's gone. dead, yeah. right? One of the things that changed for me at some point in the last six years with my mother at some point, I realized that I was looking for her to say something that was going to make it all better, that was going to make it all go away, and was going to make me feel better. Um, at some point, and I didn't know what that was, but I just kept waiting for it. And she was never saying it. She was never doing it. 
And once I realized that and realized that there was never going to be that thing, there's nothing she could ever say that was going to make it all better and make it go away. Because she doesn't have that capability. Nobody has that capability outside of me to make it all better, you know? All better, uh, I don't know about that, but to, to, to really heal, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so once I released that need from her, mm -hmm. um, there was definitely a shift in our relationship that began because I, I felt like it released her of some yes. of that pressure and it released me of needing something that she couldn't give me. So you don't have that for her anymore, that you need her to release you? No. Have you forgiven her? I'm also on the path. You're on the path. Yeah. Have you, here's a big question. Have you forgiven Michael Jackson? Also on the path. From, you know, go, ahead, go ahead. You know what, you know it's strange? Or not strange, it, like I, I felt guilt this weekend for like I let him down. Like it's still there. That shadow is still there. You let him down how? By speaking up? Yeah. It's, it's still there. And it just creeps out, you know? So when all the fans and the estate and all the anger, you, are, you guys are gonna get it, you know that, right? We've We're been. all gonna get it, I'm yeah. gonna get it, we're all gonna get it. <laughs> we're gonna get it. So are you prepared for that? <laughs> You're not. I mean, it's, you know, it's been happening yeah. for a while. Um, we were just, I just received another death threat last night. You know, um, there's been many of those over the years. There's some level of, I don't, it's not, it's hard to normalize to that, but yeah. there's some level of familiar, familiarity with that. Um, Would you have um, been able to do this if Michael Jackson was alive? <laughs> Let the church say amen. Okay, okay. That was such a strong mm. Would you? Would you have been able to do Would you have been able to do yes. the film? Yes, yeah, absolutely, yes. So the question is, have you forgiven yourself? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, I still struggle. Certainly not. If you, you, you certainly haven't forgiven yourself if just this weekend you were feeling bad. Right. Like you let Michael down. Right. Because you were going to come here. Right. Yeah. I have. You have forgiven I yourself. I have forgiven myself. Yeah. How did you do that? <laughs> How did I do that? Has this process been helpful? Has this the process has, this, of doing process, the film, yeah. talking it out, seeing it on in documentary form? Yeah, being... to, yeah, to begin with, being a part of the film and doing the interview with Dan, you know, I talked about all of it a lot in therapy but never in this way and never in, you know, three days of nine hours a day, chronological yeah. order. Yeah. Right, what happened for me in that process was there was all these other pieces that came together for me. Yes. Right, all these other connections and the relationship with my father and the wedge and the way Michael drew that wedge between us and all of that stuff came together for me in a whole new way, just in the process of telling the story to Dan. And then, First, seeing the film, you know, we saw, I saw the film a, a couple of weeks before we went to Sundance. And 
sitting inside, watching a movie of my life and the most intimate details of my life was extremely surreal. And I kind of kept dissociating as I was watching it and yeah. trying to remember, oh, right, this is a movie about my life and all of this. And, and then next to be at Sundance in a room full of strangers watching the movie um, was extremely surreal. And then we were introduced after the, the, the first screening. And like you guys so graciously did, everyone stood up and started clapping for us. And um, I realized, you know, I'd never witnessed public support before for this, you know? So that, that's been an incredible feeling, unexpected. Yeah. Because it's not the way it's been. I didn't expect that, yeah. you know? Yeah. You expect to, to I expect continue it to be to... bashed and mowed over and... Yeah. 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 yeah well, doing the movie, I, I tried to set a healthy expectation, um, which was I would, was going to talk to other survivors. And that was my audience. Mm -hmm. um, thinking you're going to change people's minds is... Uh, I, you know, that's not a healthy way to, to no. go about it. You're just going to be, this is not going to go anywhere. Um, so my focus was, let, I want to talk to other survivors. And honestly, this, this moment, like being with survivors, like this is why you do the movie. This is, this moment is why, you know? And that, this it is, is for me. The reason to tell the story because the story is bigger than, as I said at the beginning, it's bigger than any one person. Yeah. And don't let anybody in your world make it just about what Michael Jackson did or did not do. It's about this thing, this insidious pattern that's happening in our culture that we refuse to look at. I love this quote from Maureen Dowd. Maureen Dowd the other day did an article in the, in the New York Times where she was talking about she wrote a column for the New York Times and she asked the question about fame and she said, celebrity supersedes criminality. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, but you love that line, you'll love this one. She said, how can you see clearly when you're looking into the sun? How can an icon be a con? So here's what's so astute about that line, I think. The reason the idea of Michael Jackson or any major person uh, committing sexual abuse against children challenges so many people is because in every family, you have to face that some things are not the way they appear to be. And what people need to accept in their own families is that people can do good things, they can be loving and helpful, and, and also be an abuser and a person who does bad things. Yeah. Both can be true. And we are experiencing this paradox as a reckoning in our country every day in the news, where both things can be true. Did you find that, Dan? Yeah, that's, I mean, that the, you know, the opening minutes of the film are these two guys saying what a wonderful, warm, kind, loving, generous person Michael was, and that he sexually abused them, in Wade's case, for seven years. And those two truths are both present in this story. 
and it's about being able to accommodate complicated truth. It's complicated, and that's why that's why documentary exists, in my view, is to tell complicated stories. But it's I think when, once people understand that an abuser can be both your friend, your best friend, your mentor, mm -hmm. and your idol and your lover, yeah. and that can happen while you're a child, and you never really disentangle those two things, you know, yeah. and that's 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 a that's a painful thing to have to confront for most people. It seems like you're further along in the disentanglement. You are, Wade. Yes? Maybe so. Maybe yeah. So. Is it yeah. because you had more therapy? You thought about it more? You what, what? Uh, I mean, you know, everybody's journey is yeah, completely individual and everybody's timing is completely different. Uh, that's something I've really learned through this process. Um, so there's, there's no comparing, you know, yeah. anybody's journey. Um, life is, is, is not this or that. It's this, that, and the other at the yeah. same time. Yeah. You know? All are true. Yes? Oh. I'm going to give you the final word. Oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> About where you are in the process. Oh, man. Uh, it's it, it's going to be a lifelong journey for me. And when this ends and the attention is no longer on the film, I still got to go on and deal with this. So this, this will be for the rest of my life, you know. Mm -hmm. this, this, this moment will end. And I still have a lot of work to do. And, and I'm helping myself so that I can be better for my kids and my family. And that's the goal. That's the goal. Well, thank you all for being here. Thank you. I hope we can get beyond Michael Jackson, the icon. Stop staring into the sun and do what is necessary to heal our children and heal ourselves. I realize, I realize so many victims, you know, so many victims feel that uh, speaking up betrays the perpetrator, it betrays the family. But what we've learned from watching you two is that it's the ultimate betrayal of yourself. It's the ultimate betrayal of yourself. And so when you don't speak up, silence allows more victims to occur. So thank you all for being here and being a part of this. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.